Now, when men get to fighting, it happens here. And it finishes here. Two men enter. One man leaves. Sometimes I want to punch you in your perfect teeth. To the death. No. To the pain. Let's make some noise. Oh my god, they're out of We're gonna cut your heart out with us! Oh. Come get some. You had an exit. The way of pain! There can be only one. Hello, and welcome to Them's Fighting Nerds, a debate podcast where two nerds enter, one nerd leaves. I am your host and moderator, Sean Allred. On this episode, The Claim. Thor Ragnarok vs. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is the best MCU movie. Tonight, our two debaters are Jesse from the Sudden But Inevitable podcast. Hey, Sean. Great to be back at Cheap Seat. Uh, May I just say really quickly, by Odin's beard... I shall not lose. And Cameron from the Green Shirt Podcast, a newbie's trek through TNG. Now, I'm just a simple Marvel fan. I don't know my Jack Kirby's from my Stephen Ditko's. But I do know that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is, hands down, easily the best MCU film there is. Certainly better than the overrated, crushingly flawed, very disappointing Thor Ragnarok. Thank you for that opening statement. That was great, especially since I I 100% uh, pictured you as the chicken lawyer from Futurama. Here are the rules. There will be five rounds. The debaters have agreed upon the subject of the first four rounds and the fifth round being a subject of my choosing. Each round will last roughly 10 minutes with a two-minute rebuttal. Points will be awarded for making a good topical point. The person with the most points wins the round. Three out of five rounds wins the debate, and the subject will be closed forever. And this ruling will be etched in stone and placed upon the hill on top of the thing, so we do not incur the wrath of the whatever. (laughs) Agreed. All right. So ready. So, with a flip of a coin, I literally have a coin. They can see it. This is my pie show coin. It's my uh, Order of the White Lotus coin. So, the White Lotus is heads, and the back is tails. Uh, I think Jesse is actually the one that threw down the challenge, so you get to call it in the air, heads or tails? Tails. It was tails. It was tails. So, Jesse gets to go first on our first topic. Here we go. You guys ready? Our first topic is characters, both good and bad. Jesse, you're on the clock. Okay. Here's the thing. There are a lot of characters that would be really easy to slot in to this part of my argument i mean thor ragnarok is just full of fun characters maybe it's not full of the most important characters in the mcu but i'll tell you what it is full of some of the most enjoyable characters in the mcu and it has loki i mean loki has the last little part of character development that we need before we get 
to the Infinity War at the end game in this movie. And, I mean, that alone, I think, is enough to bank this whole thing on. But I am not going to do that because there's just so many good characters in this movie. You've got father figures in both movies, right? Old, wizened father figures. But in this one, it's played by the incomparable Anthony Hopkins. I mean, Anthony Hopkins' Odin, to me, is sort of the Mufasa of the MCU, right? That's the kind of feeling that you get when he goes. Like, he's in Thor Ragnarok for, I want to say, three minutes, four minutes, maybe? He pulls tears every time I watch this movie, and I know exactly what's going to happen. Just the, the emotion in his voice. Like, you know that everything that Anthony Hopkins has ever done, right? He's, he's a master of emotion, and he's a master of subtle emotion. And the subtle little breaks and quivers in his voice when he's speaking to his sons right before he just lets his time end, it's, it just it hits me every time. It, it really hits me, and it really hits Loki, because when he says, my sons, plural, Loki turns almost and looks directly into the camera like, you guys... That's a character moment. It was, it's just like, you can, anybody who's ever had a dad that they were hoping for this much uh, approval from can really appreciate that moment for Loki, even if we didn't do all the same kind of things that Loki did. But, you know, that's before we get to all of the other cool characters in this movie. That's before we get to Hela, who's maybe not my favorite, uh, but she's definitely having fun, at least. Um, but there's Heimdall, played by Idris Elba, and he definitely, we know like from outside the MCU interviews, he doesn't always, I don't know if enjoy his time there is the right word. Um, we know that he has thoughts about the MCU that may not line up with what Heimdall would think, right? Let's say it that way. But he still commits to the role. And he gives you that nice mystic warrior. You're like, wait, where is this character? And he's like, quote unquote, replaced with Scourge. And any movie that has Carl Urban, for me, gets like uh, a free bonus point and a half. That's just all there is to that. Ever since I saw him charge down that hill to the king as Amir, I was like, I'm sold on this guy's career. I don't even, it doesn't matter what the genre is. It doesn't matter what the setting is. I'm ready for some Carl Urban. Objection, Your Honor. We are here to debate Thor Ragnarok, not The Two Towers or Return of the King, which are significantly much better films. I didn't know this was a court proceeding, but I actually will, um, (laughs) I will uh, sustain your objection. You're right. We need to stick with Thor Ragnarok, please. I can do that. And I can do that by reiterating that Scourge, again, a character we meet in this movie, has a nearly complete and, I don't know if I would call it relatable arc, but easily understandable, right? So he just, he takes what should be a really dumb part and he elevates it to this level that he has of sincerity with Scourge is like, I think that's what makes the character good. Because had that been played by any other, you know, non- main uh non-a-tier actor i i just don't think it would have worked i mean there are so many huge names in this movie to, for carl urban to be sort of relegated to a side role is kind of amazing and he knocks it out of the park i just i i think that character is very well done um and yeah he's a little cheesy but I think I appreciate what they did with him. Now, of course, we've also got Doctor Strange in his first post-Doctor Strange solo movie appearance. And it's it's kind of serves to just be this really cool, a quick little check-in on him of like, oh yeah, he's gotten 
way better since the last time we saw him. The back and forth between Strange and Thor, I think, is masterfully done. It's one of the only two pairings of characters that really make sense, right? Like, they could argue about the same kind of stuff and both sort of be on a similar level. One of them isn't, you know, far outclassing the other one as far as their knowledge of the cosmos goes, necessarily. Um, so I just, and then of course, Loki falling for 30 minutes. How are you going to hate on Loki falling for 30 minutes? You guys, we haven't even mentioned how great it is to see Hulk in, you know, half control Hulk as Hulk. Hulk gets to be Hulk in this movie and it's lovably enjoyable. I just Hulk in the bath, Hulk with the towel, Hulk with the necklace. Everything Hulk does in this movie is fun. And then Mark Ruffalo shows up and plays a great banner. You really, this is almost, this is the most banner we've seen at this point, right? Like, and it's just, you guys, the characters in this movie. And that's all before we even mention Korg. Now, I'm not always a big fan of the director putting himself in the movie and, you know, putting themselves in a role that's, you know, semi-important. Sometimes that bugs me. It, it really does sometimes. And I don't know why, but in this case, I forgive it 100%. It's, it's, it's almost like a... I don't even know. He, he's like an expositional character, right? He's definitely the director stand-in character. But he still is pulled off in a way, I think, that's endearing enough to forgive it. And I think that as we will get into later, the Korg character serves a very specific purpose to how this movie is put together. But, I mean, beyond all that, you guys, we can, of course, just stick with Thor. Thor has quite the journey in this film, and I feel like he really ends up as the character we have wanted him to be since the first time that we saw him. When he came down in his first solo movie, we were like, okay, this is really cool. And then... The finale and the big fight was kind of, I mean, it was fun, right? It was fun. It was new, but it was sort of, well, that, I mean, I, you could say it boiled down to a giant robot and one guy and then it was over and it's, you know, okay, whatever. I get that they were trying to, for lack of a better term, ground Thor in the reality of the MCU, right? They're like, okay, well, this guy's totally different as far as origin goes. So we got to bring him in in a way that seems like it fits, but isn't familiar. So I think that this movie with the Thor character really accomplishes going, okay, that's a great base to build on. Let's just go to like 11 on all of those character dials and see what happens. So I, for me, that's that's one of those things. The characters are probably my second or third favorite part of this whole movie. And usually the characters in a Marvel movie feel mostly interchangeable to me but in this movie i think it wouldn't work with any other set of characters so that's kind of where i land on the thor ragnarok characters thank you jesse now cameron it's your turn to give us your thoughts on the characters from guardians of the galaxy volume two i would love to talk about the guardians characters the guardians of the galaxy of course is perhaps the most character based of the mcu films i mean all mcu films i feel do have their strong characters but this is the only one with a team of characters and, and their different personalities and how they bounce off each other and relate to each other and interact together volume two specifically is a is a very well-developed progression from where we were in volume one, they are now a team, but they're not yet a family. And that's what this film is about. It's about watching these characters we love 
go from dysfunctional team to still dysfunctional family, but knowing how to work better, work together a little bit better. Uh, I, I would like to point out that my uh, fellow combatant over here admitted, openly admitted in his defense of Thor Ragnarok, that the characters, many of the characters in that film, rely on A-level actors and performances, that the characters were not there on the paper. But I would say every character in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is there in the script and only enhanced by the performances that come. We have such great relationships going on here. We, of course, yes, we have the father figure dynamic in this film as well. And to to try to say that the father figure uh, relationship dynamic in Thor Ragnarok is better or even comparable to what happens in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, well, I mean, that just makes him a triangle-faced monkey in my, my view. I'm sorry. We, uh... <laughs> uh we, I mean, we, we, we have, it's a three ways, a threesome of father figures. We've got Quill, he's battling with his actual biological father who, you know, he has a fraught relationship, it turns out, with. And then we have his adopted father, Yondu. And I, I mean, let's just cut to the chase. Like that scene where Yondu sacrifices himself for Quill. I, I've teared up every time I've watched this movie at Yondu's funeral. Even when I watch the commentary, and I don't tear up at movies, Sean, your honor, did you tear up when Odin died? I wonder. I wonder how many people really cared that much. Because, yes, we should have cared when Odin died. But did we? But when Yondu sacrifices himself, when the Ravagers come and give him the Ravager funeral, oh my god, you, I'm, I need a moment. I need a moment. And the, the other relationships we have also in this film, both films, a sibling rivalry. Now, uh, uh, Nebula and Gamora's relationship is so deep and so there, there's just so much going on there and it it takes it travels a whole journey in this movie which I would argue Loki's and Thor's does not I don't know what happened in Thor Ragnarok the last we see Loki he's lying in a puddle of his own piss electrocuted by Thor after having tried to backstab him yet again and then and then what? We don't know. He just shows up for a slow motion fight scene when he suddenly decides he wants to sacrifice everything. I don't know how Loki got from point A to point B. I don't. But I know what happened to Nebula. When Nebula becomes a good guy in Infinity War and Endgame, that is earned because of what happens in this movie. Loki's slow motion scene to the immigrant song is not earned, my, my friends. I am sorry. Now, furthermore, what else do I have here? Oh, so I just think... <sighs> Thor is a movie with a bunch of characters in service to jokes. Korg is there to tell jokes and exposition. The Grandmaster is there to be goofy and funny and tell jokes. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is, is jokes in service of the characters. There is no joke in the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 that is just a joke. Every line tells you something about the character or the relationship between the two characters who are talking or something about the dynamic and themes of what is going on. There are layers. There are so many layers. Of Guardians. I, guys, I was just watching it. There's not a single line of this that is a throwaway or just an irreverent one-off. But that is all that half of Thor Ragnarok is, is, oh, it's funny. Thor's kind of a badass and then gets hit in the face with a ball. The, the other relationship I want to bring up is Drax and Mantis. Drax and Mantis's relationship is so much fun. You get the feels watching them. They are such a great, um, you know, non-romantic male-female coupling in this movie. And it's, it's so refreshing and so fun. 
We've got the villains. Let's talk about our mini bosses, Taserface versus the Grandmaster, only one of which gets uh, a satisfying comeuppance within the film, while the other is just a throwaway post-credit joke. And then we've got Ego versus Hell. And I mean, there's no competition there. Ego, I mean, this his whole character revolves around the themes of family and found family versus toxic uh, biological family. And, and I mean, and it's Kurt Russell. My case is closed there alone. But we've got Hell, who should be, you know, that she is Thor's sister. There's a lot going on there. She makes some good comments about how, you know, Thor or Odin dismissed her for just doing what he taught her to do about how Odin kind of whitewashed their own history. There's something there, but the film drops it. Thor never really engages with her on that. Thor never has a reckoning about his father's history that hell brings up to him. That never happens in the film. Can I, can I make a point of clarification? Are you pronouncing her name wrong on purpose? Hell? Yes. Her Hella? Hella. Well, it be well, is is hell in the original Norse yeah. mythology, right? Sure. Yeah. I'm just, you know, for those that only watch the movie. <laughs> it's how she was introduced in Age of Ultron, which is another problem with Thor Ragnarok in that it's so much of it relies on the worst part of previous films. I'd say it's a strength, actually. May I have my rebuttal now, and then we'll give Rebut. Cameron his rebuttal. Rebut away. Okay. okay. So, first of all, you're right. Yondu is great um, as the adopted son of a real-life stepdad, that scene hits me hard every time. There is no way to deny that that scene is emotional and impactful. Um, But that scene is emotional and impactful because I uh, love my stepdad dearly and he means the world to me. Uh, Yondu is great, but uh, we've known him for one movie as like an all-right bad guy. So I like beyond understanding the dynamic there... I don't feel like I care about Yondu as a character, right? Like I'm glad he's had more screen time than Odin. I'm just by the time of their death. Hey, I'm Cameron, what, out Cameron, let let Jesse have his time for his rebuttal. You can have your 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 couple minutes in a second. I'm just throwing out that for me, Yondu is a bunch of fun, and then in the second installment, they're like, "Oh, we should probably imbue him with some meaning," which, to be fair, they did a great job of. Now, um, which to be fair, Thor Ragnarok does a lot of too. To believe that there are no characters in Guardians of the Galaxy two that are purely there to be a joke, and then mention Taserface in the same breath feels a little disingenuous to me. I'm just going to throw that out there. He's the mini boss. Drax is the joke character. In case you were wondering, Drax is there to tell jokes and be funny and give exposition. Like he 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 knows more about the universe than most of the rest of the characters. He just doesn't talk a lot, you know, because of the tragedy, etc. Now, I love the Drax character, but uh not for reasons that are dissimilar to why I love the Korg character. Um the last point that I'll make here, actually I'm going to make two points. The first quick point that I'll make is Thor actually does engage Hela in the conversation about how maybe the way Odin did things wasn't the way to do it. But it's a very quick thing, and then we cut away to the aforementioned Battle of the Bifrost, and then when we get back, most of their um, conversation has elapsed, right? But he does say, yeah, let me guess, he told you one thing, turns out another thing was totally true, and 
you know, he pulled the rug out from under you essentially. And she goes, okay. Yeah. So see, you do know how he is. And he's like, yeah, but also you're insane, you know? So you're just the worst, I think is what he says. But, Mm. um, speaking of the worst ego (laughs) is the worst character in the MCU. I'm sorry. Like what, what character is that? A living celestial whose goal is to be everything. I'm sorry. That's just a little bit too abstract in in the direction of like we couldn't think of something specific, so we figured this was fine. Like it's just universal domination with extra steps. That's all that it is, and that's okay. But his character is. I, I don't. I get. I get it. Okay, he's big. He's bad. And that fight scene with the music between Quill and his celestial father is gorgeous. Very well done. And it could probably be argued that the needle drops would not have happened quite so frequently in Ragnarok without Guardians of the Galaxy. So I appreciate that. But Guardians of the Galaxy 2 felt to me, character-wise, like mostly more of the same. I don't need to know about Peter Quill's origin. I don't care. He's Star-Lord. That's good enough for me. Just like I don't need to see Spider-Man's Uncle Ben die again. He can just show up in Civil War. I'll be fine with that. Like, I don't need the origin. Just give me the character, right? I get it. He's a space guy. I'm fine with that. That's enough for me. Now, I'm not saying that should be enough for everybody. I'm saying for me personally, that's enough. Um, so I'm going to say in, in a film bring... about found family... Peter Quill's origins and his father are very important to explore on a thematic level. And it's not the same as seeing a story we've just seen a lot of times, and that's why we don't see Uncle Owen for the third time in 10 years of cinema. I, it's, not, it's not an incorrect point, um, but I... For <laughs> Make me, a point the, of that, Sean. It's not an incorrect point I just made. <laughs> for me, the character doesn't land. Like, I, for them to go, you know... For me, it felt like an easy way for the movie to get back to the 1980s. And, and and you know, I'm not bagging on the 80s. I'm just saying, like, we have the soundtrack. We have some of the aesthetic. We have Quill's pop culture references. Like, it's fine, man. We don't have to actually physically go to the 80s and then bring the are 80s. Ta- are you talking to... about the three-minute scene at the beginning? No, I'm talking about putting Kurt Russell in the movie. <laughs> Whoa! Oh, now you were complaining about Kurt Russell himself being in the film. Well, I think our case I'm is just closed. Saying, I'm saying the character doesn't matter to me and the actor doesn't elevate it. Like you were saying, I claimed all of the A-list <laughs> characters in Ragnarok do. That's my rebuttal, all, Cameron. All, I would so. love to yield the, fr- the floor to you. <laughs> well, I'd like to ask our uh, debate moderator here if he has any questions he'd like to clear up before he makes his decision. Do I have any questions? No, I don't have any questions. I having uh, being a fan of both films separately and equally, I I find both good points that you have both made, and I also find some things that you've said about the other film both funny and incorrect. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I you know I mean I I, I agree that egos plan to destroy the entire universe falls a little short of interesting, much like many of the MCU villains do. The MCU has a villain problem, and Ego falls partly into that. Up until he reveals his grand plan, I find him a fascinating character when he is just kind of a creepy father figure to Quill. That is great stuff. Uh, I feel Hela also falls into the the boring villain because she just shows up out of, you know, uh, her, her imprisonment and wants to rule Asgard and 
fight people. Uh, with, with who? Like with an undead army? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, she has to go there for uh, for for reasons, but yeah, she she has reasons. Yes, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of reasons in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. I guess the last thing I will say about characters is I am surprised I have to debate this with Jesse because Guardians of the Galaxy is basically Star Trek: The Next Generation as far as characters go. Je- this should be in Jesse's ballpark. <laughs> we have Mantis, who is the obvious Troy. I mean, that one's the gimme. But Drax, who is the combination of Geordi and Data in that he doesn't understand metaphors and is pretty socially awkward. Quill, obviously Riker, who has daddy issues, is horny and a bit scruffy. Groot is Worf, the strong silent type who is easy to anger and doesn't always understand humans. Gamora is actually Picard with the very strong moral compass, humorless, and the fraught sibling relationships. And then finally Rocket is Q, just because he's a mischief maker and pushes people he cares about away and okay that one was a bit of a stretch but rocket's cute so that's my, would, that's 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 my uh ace up my sleeve to get jesse I would on, say on board more than one of those is a stretch but i like your justification <laughs> for a couple of them i'll take it i'll take it thank you gentlemen for that uh rousing first topic of characters both good and bad we are moving on to the second topic in our five topic debate tonight The second topic is the plot, the plot of the movie. Since Jesse went first last time, I will let Cameron go first this time. Oh, my. Well, I just think the plot of Guardians of the Galaxy is is very clear and very well done. You know, uh, again, nothing in this film serves only one purpose. Everything is meant to, you know, be entertaining and supply character or drive the plot or magnify the theme so we've got this opening escape from the Sovereign, I think they're called, the gold, the gold Dudes. And we see Quill and Rocket, and they're immediately, they're not working well together. The team is not functioning. Neither of these people who both want to lead the team are being good leaders. And so that's right off the bat, that gets them in trouble, gets the plot started, but is also introducing what our overarching you know, themes and character arcs are going to be here. And then we have the moment there on the planet where there's parting ways and, and we're just very, you know, the conflict and emotional stakes are very clearly put out there. We've got uh, Rocket who pushes people away. He, he doesn't want to allow people to get close to him. We've got Quill who's kind of had one foot out the door this whole time because he feels he's missing something in his life, a father figure, which he is not getting from this, this found family he has. And uh, neither of them are ready to lead the team. And so they have to go in separate ways, much like, I'm going to bring it back to Star Trek, Star Trek Beyond, where the team has to separate, work together individually to find out that only together as a cohesive unit do they really have what it takes to kill a celestial. And I just think that's all done very well. We we follow, you know, Quill and Rocket are really the, the two big protagonists of this movie, and we follow their arcs incredibly clearly we we see where they are at the beginning of the movie which is very different from where they are at the end and we can track that progress and it's just a really fun ride we we're introduced to ego who you know partly because he's kurt russell and we want to love kurt russell at all times i'm we're rooting for him i'm rooting even though i knew ahead of time that like yeah okay he's a planet who's supposed to be the bad guy i was rooting that maybe he would be the good guy and he'd be this great father figure for quill 
and uh, and that it would be the Ravagers and the Celestial, right? We've got all these these red herrings who are like, maybe these are the big bads of the movie, and they're out there, but one by one, they drop away, and we find out, no, we get the fun twist that even if you see it's coming, that Ego is uh, has nefarious plans for Quill's friends and the rest of the galaxy. And uh, I, I just think that's all woven together incredibly well, and then we get just this amazing ending, emotional heart streak heartstrings tugged uh finale where it all comes together and they are finally a family where quill has found his father figure he's he he realizes there was not a hole there at all that yondu was his hasselhoff his father and uh he and this family are now ready to be a father for baby groot and that's kind of this like fun little subplot that kind of sneaks in there at the end you realize baby groot has been a nuisance this entire movie this this child on this guardians of the galaxy ship and it isn't till the end when like quill realizes that he did have a father figure and now he is ready to be a father himself to young groot and uh it's the first time you see like groot and drax have a moment and uh it's it's all so touching it's really good and meanwhile, Thor Ragnarok, you know, you, Sakaar is amazing. Sakaar is great. I've said this on other podcasts. Taika Waititi wanted to make a Sakaar movie, and no one likes what happens on Asgard. I have not talked to one person who's like, oh, yeah, I really like the Asgard subplot. No one. And we're here to discuss the whole movie, not just the best parts of the movie. Thanks for making my next point for me, Cameron. You're, You're welcome. so good at that. It's like, <laughs> it's like you know what I want you to say. I'm just going to tee you up, Jesse. So, I feel... That statement is not entirely incorrect. Taika Waititi wanted to make the Sakaar movie, um, but you can't just do that because Thor has all of these restrictions with his character. You got to tie him to Asgard. He's got to be paying attention to what's going on there. He needs to, like, you know, keep that place safe while also helping out Earth and that this, that, and the other thing. And to your point, that's that's kind of the worst part of Thor, right? There's so many limits to him. Like it's like he could be the strongest Avenger, but he's always <laughs> got to be off doing something else. Like he's he's got duties. He's got he's like, hey, I'm down here kicking Surtur's ass, and then the first thing when he gets home, it's like, oh, everything is wrong. Something is bad. Like I should have been paying attention. And now that those foundations are gone, sorry, we don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> now that now that new Asgard exists and Thor um, over the course of the arc that you claimed doesn't exist in the movie has realized <laughs> that the people are Asgard, not the place, right? And a true king is there to protect the people, not the plunder, right? That's where Odin went wrong. That's one of the things that Thor disagreed with about Odin, and Hela disagreed with it. And Thor saw that point because, as I said before, they did have a conversation about it. Now, here's the other thing. Thor, throughout this movie, he breaks the chains, right? He, he's got no more restrictions. He's just a cool superhero character now. It's He's not tied to one place or the other. He doesn't have to be you know, always paying attention to the throne and he doesn't have to always be paying attention to what his brother is trying to do. And I'm glad that you mentioned that we seem to see Loki just get shocked and then randomly show up at a fight. But that's not what happens at all, Cameron. And I think that's a gross oversimplification that you may have employed on purpose. Right up to that scene, Thor and Loki are discussing their very nature as beings and why their relationship, their entire lives, has been fraught with such conflict. Now, they 
basically come to an understanding there. Thor explains to him, this happens every time, I trust you, you betray me, but you're becoming predictable, right? That hits Loki. He has what we assume is several minutes to just sit there on the floor and think about what Thor just said until Korg shows up. And then Korg goes, you know, hey, we're leaving. And he says, you seem in desperate need of leadership. Then we see him show up at Asgard, and he proclaims your savior has arrived. That's why he went back. He didn't go back because he's suddenly a good character. He went back because he saw an opportunity to keep being Loki. And if his brother is going to let him be him, which they've just had a conversation confirming, then that's what he's going to do. And there's no more Odin there to tell him not to. And, I mean, Hela at some point would come after him, right? He's not stupid. Now, the other thing is that the plot of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, while, yes, it is touching right towards the end there, it's it's kind of like the lore patch for the Guardians franchise, right? The first movie was, hey, here's some fun characters. Let's go see what they do. And it was great fun. I had a blast. Guardians of the Galaxy 1 is one of the most original movies I had seen in a long time, and for it to also be a Marvel movie was insane and very impressive. Then they went, oh, we better give these characters some backstory if um, people are going to keep caring about them because we can't just pull off the flashy uh, soundtrack trick every time, right? So let's give Quill some origin. Uh, Let's flesh that out. Uh, Let's pull in all the characters from the first movie, um, including my brother, which again, I think that that's, I forgive that more than I forgive putting yourself in the movie because then it's like, Dude, yeah, you you want to help your family. That's your brother. That's cool. Like I I think it's cool that Sean Gunn got to be a Ravager. But I feel like the second movie was an, an admittance that they hadn't given much weight to any of the characters in the first movie. Yes, we know Drax has a tragic backstory, but we get it explained to us in like a three-sentence thing. And guess what? That's enough. Like, that's plenty. That, that movie is fun, crazy space times. Now... If you want to compare something to Star Trek, I mean, the Thor Ragnarok plot is essentially the episode where Q decides to give Riker powers, right? He takes him to this weird arena. He pits all these crazy monsters against each other. He's one guy who controls everything. He's got all the power in this place. And then at the end, he decides, you know what? I'm done with this. And to your point, Cameron, yes, it would have been great to maybe see the Grandmaster's story have a little better of a completion. But personally, anytime you put Q in a bathrobe, give him a shock of white hair and blue lipstick, I'm going to watch that episode. So I I don't feel like Grandmaster can really be reduced to a single post-credit joke. I mean, he's just... You're right, he shouldn't be. He's definitely just Jeff... And he's definitely Jeff Goldblum playing Jeff Goldblum in a costume, which I'm fine with. There are actors I wouldn't forgive for doing that. Jeff Goldblum is not one of those actors. Um, I just feel like, to to reiterate, this movie doesn't rely on Age of Ultron's vision. This movie doesn't rely on anything from Thor's past. This movie takes all that stuff and goes, that stuff was great, but it's not what we need. What we need is this going forward we need thor in space kicking ass powered up looking good half a cape 80s style give me the tron give me the synth 
I mean, you guys, come on. It's just like the plot is they take time to address all the little problems that are big enough to matter, in my opinion. They give Jane Foster the throwaway line, right? Uh, I broke up with her. She broke. It was a mutual dumping. Like, that's just great to give Thor some humanity. That was kind of the problem with him, right, is that he was so like stuffy and full of Asgardian chutzpah or whatever that it's like he's not really relatable now he's relatable he got he thought he was depowered he wasn't depowered so yes we get that additional little plot thread of the power was within you all along which isn't new that's the point of the Thor character it just seems like the MCU forgot and Taika Waititi remembered I hope we're not being uh, graded on our accents, because if we are, I'm in trouble. <laughs> no, that takes zero uh, bearing into account. Well, thank you for helping to uh, expand and explain how much Guardians 2 improved on the first one. Jesse, I appreciate that. You're right. They did bring a lot more depth to these characters. So what I mean by uh, Ragnarok, it doesn't rely on the worst parts of previous movies, but it's, it's held back by them. Because uh, let me make it clear. Sakaar is gorgeous. Sakaar is fun. Thor Ragnarok is fun. It's an easy watch. I can put it on and enjoy it. But it's bubblegum. It's all surface layer. And there are parts that just hold it back. Such as, well, we've introduced this Hell character in Ultron. We've got to bring her into this movie, even though it's not the movie Taika Waititi wants to tell. We've, we've got this whole business with Loki taking over the throne, which was like this amazing part at the end of Thor The Dark World. And, well, we've just got to wrap that up in the first 20 minutes. The first 20 minutes of Thor Ragnarok is just kind of catching us up to speed. It's tying up loose ends. We've got, we've got Thor, who's been having dreams of Ragnarok. Well, let's see these dreams. Show, don't tell. What is Ragnarok? Oh, it's a prophecy. Why does Fire Demon want to kill Asgard? Oh, it's a prophecy. That's all the title of this movie is. Yeah, seeing Thor and Strange is fun, but the only reason it's there is because it was a post-credit scene on Doctor Strange. It slows down the whole beginning of this movie. Strange doesn't have to be there. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and then you just get into uh, this very bipolar tone between Sakaar and, and, and Asgard, and half of which is a lot of fun and half of which is kind of bleak and boring and we're going to kill off like Thor's best friends of since childhood and he's not going to react at all. I don't know. doesn't work for me. It doesn't work to for be me the fair, way. He wasn't there when that happened. So I know. I, yeah, I understand, but I mean, that's, that's a problem. <laughs> he could have been. I have Taika additional... was in charge of the scripts. I have additional rebuttals, but I would ask for permission before offering them up because I don't want this segment to take too long. Uh, no, you, you can have your rebuttal. Uh, Cameron had his two minutes. so Okay. So, to your point, Cameron, the movie is... Thor Ragnarok is making the point that the bubblegum is the fun part of Thor. The movie revels in the bubblegum. Mm-hmm. The, the opening logo has heavy synth music. It's got the cool... Technotronic Celtic knot left by the Bifrost. Like, you've got the dragon in this movie. It doesn't even get to be a dragon, and it's still badass. Like, <laughs> the the whole point of this movie is that it's addressing and fixing and removing all of the complaints that you have with it. It yes, the 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 Asgard parts are are not the Sakar parts, 
because the Asgard parts are the parts the movie is making an effort to cast off, to remove from Thor's list of burdens. They make Asgard a concept rather than a place, so that now Thor can just say, I've made sure everyone in New Asgard is safe, let's go. Like, now we don't have to have him going back every other movie to find out what's going on, to see who's impersonating whom. (laughs) And just one other point. The whole Thor Dark World play that you so masterfully minimized features some of the best cameos in the entire MCU that don't include the name Stan Lee. Are you sure you want to bring up cameos when debating against Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Jesse? I'm going to give you a moment to decide that. I understand what you're saying, but for me, as a... I don't know what the what the words are, Cameron. Am I millennial and you're just before millennial? I, I'm Oregon Trail. I'm, I'm the cusp. I, I played Oregon Trail. Okay, so as a kid who grew up primarily in the 90s, I appreciated the cameos in Thor Ragnarok personally more than I appreciated the cameos in Guardians 2. And I will stop <laughs> because that is my time. Okay. Very good, gentlemen. This is this is going splendidly. Oh, splendid. Um, and it I had not realized how much painful this was going to be for me not to be able to contribute as much as I want to. Time for round three. Round three will be themes. The themes of the movie, both uh, primary plot and subplot and Jesse, you get to go first. My esteemed competitor had mentioned the found family themes. The thing that's nice about Thor Ragnarok's family themes is that they don't have to go looking for them. Um, they don't have to go, hey, remember a couple movies back, uh, like all that stuff? Um, that's actually this whole huge backstory now. They can just go, you know who Thor is, you know who Loki is, you know who Odin is. Yeah, the introduction of Hela is a little abrupt, but it follows in exactly the same way that Odin says it will. He says, as soon as I'm dead, there is nothing holding her back. And then she appears in that spot, so that kind of makes sense. But to the family theme dynamic, I feel like you really get the relatability more with uh, Thor Ragnarok, right? Everybody has, well, let me rephrase that. A lot of people have had a sibling, or maybe it's a cousin, or maybe even it's a close friend, but a lot of people understand that sibling rivalry thing, right? There's that that need to poke your sibling, even if they are a god of thunder or a god of mischief, right? Sometimes you just have to mess with your siblings. It just it has to be done. And a lot of people, me personally included, I've had those conversations with my brother where it's like, you know, what is it about us that's so different? Like, why do we always seem to be kind of arguing and, you know, we're just very different people. What is that? And we eventually got to the understanding of that's the that's the whole crux of it is that we're just very different people. We communicate differently, we act differently, but we emote very similarly, right? We were both raised by the same people, so we have a lot of the same values and stuff like that. So we the same sort of things affect us, you know, emotionally and things. So I feel like that back and forth with the brothers in this movie really gives you that not only the sibling rivalry, right? But it also gives you that sense of comfort. When Loki is on the screen, yeah, he's a bad guy, right? He's a villain, in quotes. I would argue that, to Cameron's point, yes, the MCU has a huge villain problem, except for Loki. Loki 
is perhaps the exception that proves the rule in this case, right? He's so good because it's just his nature to be mischievous. It it really helps that the actor behind the horns is phenomenal, but the character, I think, beautifully written and ultimately tragic. Now, here's the other thing. You've got the father-son dynamic going on. In this movie, it's more of a conceptual father-son thing. It's the weight of his relationship with his father weighing on him, right? Because Odin's not in most of the movie. Um, I will point out, you were right, Cameron. He wasn't in very much of that scene where he died. But uh, Anthony Hopkins playing Tom Hiddleston, playing Anthony Hopkins, masterful. That moment. I know it's not a, a, a theme moment, but it's masterful and I have to bring it up. Now... This other thing, this theme of growth and change throughout this movie, it's, it's, it specifically fits perfectly with the main plot of Thor losing his powers, or so he thinks, or, you know, getting depowered, nerfed, if you will, and then thinking back to himself, wait a minute, my powers aren't based on my hammer. My powers come from Asgard and lightning and thunder. So I don't need the hammer. It's growth. He says it to Loki flat out. Life is about change. It's about growth. You just want to stay the same. And I feel like maybe for the first time last night as I was watching it, that really hit me because I've been, I have a, I'm going through a period of personal growth in my life. And it's kind of the first time I've ever put effort into something like that. So to see that sort of dynamic play out on a screen between two characters and two actors that I know and love it just hits home for me and I think that that was probably something latent on the inside that I was feeling with this movie before I started this moment of self-growth because it was you know I felt almost called out like oh the movie is saying you can't just stay the same all the time and that's kind of the case for the Thor franchise if they kept being what they were nobody would be interested in Thor Love and Thunder Nobody would be interested in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 now that it has Thor in it. Like, there's just, there's so many things that this movie did. Like you were saying, Cameron, the second Guardians of the Galaxy vastly improved upon the first movie. This movie vastly improves upon two other movies and sets the stage for countless other amazing moments in the MCU. And moments going forward that we have yet to even experience yeah i'm excited for guardians 3 i think i'm more excited for thor love and thunder i believe that's my time i must give it to jesse for uh explaining the character arcs and themes of thor ragnarok much better than the movie ever does so well done to him for that uh yeah i mean i think theme is really really which the the wedge between these two movies for me because as i said the characters of thor very fun the plot at least half of it is very fun but the themes just fall down for me if the stated theme of your film is that asgard or home for anyone else is a people not a place then let's spend some time in that place. Let's get to know these people. Let's enjoy the time at that place. But every time we're in Asgard in this film, we just want to get back to Sakaar. When Thor watches his homeworld be destroyed, I didn't care. No one cared. No one really cared. Even Taika Waititi knew no one cared, so he gave Korg a joke at that moment. It's, 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 it, I just felt 
in the theater, I slumped back in my chair, deflated, going, well, that was a whole lot of build up for nothing. Meanwhile, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, I, again, like, I am not a crier, but every time that funeral gets to me. And I, so, again, it's layers. It's layers. You've got Quill's eulogy, his David Hasselhoff eulogy to Yondu is both hilarious and extremely touching and extremely just you feel the completion of his of his arc and the discovery of his character. And then there, there's one line I want to bring up just before the funeral. Rocket, you know, the, the Ravagers show up and Rocket goes, they came. I, I put out a call to Yondu's Ravagers buddies and, and told them what he did. Maybe Jesse could recite that line and sound more like Bradley Cooper than I could. But that's the best I got. But that line gets me every time because I don't even know why it gets me. Does it get me because Yondu was redeemed in his final moments and we find out that it's never too late for anyone to get the acceptance of, of their peers? Maybe. Is it because Rocket cared enough about Yondu, like grew enough of a connection with him over this movie to to do this for him, to put to, to no longer push people away but call people to him? Or is it because Rocket, seeing that the Ravagers have showed up, seeing that even though Yandu pushed him away they are family and they came for him in his final moments that is so I'm getting chills right now just talking about that line it's so good that little talking raccoon gets me every time and the song doesn't hurt either uh it's it's just it's it's so good every line of this movie resonates back to the theme it just feels like thor like i feel guardians of the galaxy 2 was Thor Ragnarok in its second draft, and then James Gunn did like two more drafts and just brought it all home to Dairy Queen, <laughs> Grill and Chill. May I rebut? <laughs> rebut away, my trash panda. Now, I'm <laughs> just a point of clarification. I have a question. Mm. You're you're bored when we're in Asgard. But you mm-hmm. also want to spend more time there so that you can care about the people? It feels it, like it's kind of opposite. It, if the end of the movie is going to destroy it, and that's the theme of the movie, I want to care about it, yes. Oh, no, the theme of the movie, as I stated, was change. And that's well, just one of those moments of change. And mm. Korg's line about the foundations being gone is not a joke. He's reiterating the point of the movie. Okay, all of the stuff that kept Thor from being the coolest possible version of Thor is gone. That stuff is gone. Don't worry about it. There's no chance that somebody goes, hey, we've rebuilt your castle. Come on back and have to deal with it. It's not going to happen. That stuff is gone. Next chapter, right? The next chapter is coming up. And then in the post credit scene, I mean, that, that chapter happens pretty quickly, right? But we still have Thor accepting his responsibility as king, even if it only lasts, you know, Uh, I guess you would call that like an interstitial, like it's between movies that he stops being king anyways, or that Asgard stops being a a group of people that are safe. (laughs) Um, Anyways, it just felt like a a, a bit of a dichotomy there to want to spend time, but also not. Anyways, Um, my last point here in rebuttal, the CG, I feel like a lot of the best characters in guardians of the galaxy like you mentioned um groot and rocket and their emotional moments that's a lot of cg and i i just have trouble i think getting 
to the emotion through the CG. Personally, I like that in Thor, most of my main characters are still people that are acting with their faces and, and things like that. For the most part, obviously, it's not all of them. Um, but I, I will concede that Bradley Cooper does a very good, very good job at expressing that moment of pain. But for moments of pain being expressed through thousands of layers of CG, I think the scene where Hulk is transforming back into Banner against his will hits me in the heart. Maybe even a little harder than Rocket's little little line about the guys. All right, uh, Cameron, I think you're allowed one last rebuttal and then we'll move on to the next topic. I will certainly agree that Thor Ragnarok is big and showy, yes. And that, and and thank you again for explaining for, for yeah for, for letting us know how amazing it was that he got that that emotion out through all that layers of CGI. I agree that is a, amazing that they did that. Guardians of the Galaxy Two is so good. You keep reminding me. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. This is now topic number four, and the the penultimate topic, and we will discuss now. Overall experience, the, your overall experience with the movie. And I would like, as moderator here, for you also to tell me about how you experienced it the first time. Tell me about your movie experience, how movie... I want to hear a little bit of your a little bit of the origin story of the movie and how you came to feel that it is your, in your opinions, the best. Does that explain that good enough? I think I know I'm adding a little bit extra there, but I want I want to know, and I'm pretty sure that people that are listening want to know how both your overall experience of the movie and how you came to form this opinion, because this is I think ultimately what it comes down to is this moment here, and I think Cameron goes first. That's a great question, Sean. I think uh, thank you for asking it. Um, yeah, I, I do again want to make the point about Thor Ragnarok. If you were to design an MCU film in a lab for me, it would probably be Thor Ragnarok. You've got the 80s aesthetic. You've got the the great synth music, the short-haired, funny, irreverent Thor. Uh, you've got the Thor-Hulk dynamic. Like I, The previews for this movie may be some of the best things the MCU has ever put out. I was so pumped for Thor Ragnarok. And I just remember right off the bat, those first 20 minutes, I was like, oh, the, the we are just racing through this thing. Oh, Doctor Strange is really only here to 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 justify that last post credit scene. And again, by the end, I just deflated when it just uh, the themes did not come home. And for me, um, the way Jesse has had to explain them to me. So it, it was it was a disappointing experience with that. But I was. I, I was hopeful because everyone, every I look. I understand this. This opinion is in the minority. I get it. I I I know that this is a hot take, a lava monster hot take, but I I, I was hopeful. I was hopeful. Maybe when I, when I rewatch it, uh, and I also I bought the soundtrack. I was like, oh, there's that great '80s synth score when when Thor rushes out of the building and is searching for the uh, the Quinjet. It's so synthy and great. And I got the score, and. The score is equally as uh, 
bipolar as the movie itself. It, you've got this great synth stuff, and then you've got the classic MCU big orchestral horns, and they just don't gel the way this movie just does not gel for me. Uh, so that's that's my experience. I've bought the DVD. I've watched it multiple times. Again, it's it's fun enough to watch. It's got some great lines, some fantastic moments. Almost every scene of Thor Ragnarok is great in and of itself. It just does not add up to this complete movie. And I would argue Guardians of the Galaxy is the other way. You could take some scenes and be like, well, what's going on? Nebula's cutting grass on this weird planet. Uh, uh, <laughs> there's a big fight about Taser Face. What's going on here? But it's when you put it all together. It's all the relationships. Everything is so interconnected that it just builds and builds and Again, I'm not a crier at movies, but I cried at this one. It's like this and the British office and Lord of the Rings are the only things that can like make me consistently tear up at the end. And I don't know why. Like, I don't have that big of daddy issues, but it just hits me. And the fact that this blue I'm Mary Poppins, y'all guy can like bring the feel home that hard. It's it's just so great i thought the soundtrack was better i loved guardians i loved guardians but it had a villain problem who cares about ronan he's one of the worst villains of the mcu so guardians 2 was everything i hoped it would be we got the great characters the great space opera the color the music the fun and though yes ego has a little bit of a problem at the very end he was light years ahead of ronan so it just made for a fantastic viewing pleasure that just every time i like i've seen this movie a lot i watched it again for this show Drax was cracking me up the whole time. I was almost woke my kids up laughing out loud. It's good times. It's great stuff. I'm going to give it over to Jesse while I recollect myself. All right. Well, thank you, Cameron. I appreciate the yielding of the floor. And may I say, before we go any further, I appreciate your passion and your willingness to defend your lava monster hot take because (laughs) it does take cojones to do that it's not something that everybody would do so i want to say thank you for that now much like ego i do have a penis and it's not half bad i'm gonna i'm gonna say that it seems like most of your enjoyment from guardians of the galaxy 2 came from wanting a little bit more 80s and a little bit less Asgard from Thor Ragnarok. So even your enjoyment of Guardians was based on Thor Ragnarok, which I find interesting. Um, secondarily, and to that point, I I don't know. I just, I feel like the plot in Thor Ragnarok, the actual plot, right? Guy has to cause or prevent Ragnarok, depending is not necessarily the most important part of the movie. You could almost... I would even go so far as to concede that some people might say it's a throwaway plot, but I would rather have a throwaway plot with a gorgeously, bitchingly, undeniably steeped and dripping from every pore in cool movie. This movie, when we first saw it, my wife and I, we were not yet parents. This was 2017. And we, yeah, it was a whole other life. We both worked overnights, uh, so our, our time schedule was all wonky. So when we saw this movie, it was at like 10.15, um, I think on maybe a weekend, maybe a Sunday. And 
there was no one in the theater. We were sitting in the theater together. It was, I, th- I want to say it was a week. I think it was release week, but it was Sunday night. So it's like we have this personal moment, and I have been just dragging her through Thor movies tooth and nail against the grain, right? Like, yes, he's good looking. Yes, it's kind of, you know, fantasy and funny. Oh, Natalie Portman. She loves Natalie Portman. That's great. Oh, she's not doing much anymore. Okay, what's going Yeah. So I'm like sitting here going, babe, trust me, Thor is an amazing character. He's very cool. I promise you this movie is going to make you love him. Like, this is this is the version of Thor we've been waiting for. To your point, Cameron, those trailers, I really wish they hadn't spoiled that Hulk was in the movie, but I fully understand why they did. And those trailers still got my butt in the theater seat. When we walked out of that, I, I don't know that my wife, who's a I would describe as a casual MCU fan, I don't know that she's ever had more fun with a Marvel movie. And by proxy... I've never had more fun showing her a Marvel movie. We both enjoyed the hell out of it. She's not an 80s baby, but she loved the synth. She loved the brightly colored, very comic book, true to the source material, absolute gorgeous style of the film. If there's one thing I think we could agree on, it's that Taika Waititi had a vision for, if you're going to concede that he wanted to make the Sakaar movie, he had the vision for that movie. Now, to be fair, Asgard is an established place. All of the Marvel directors work within constrictions. Despite that, I think this is the most, the biggest, most meaningful, most enjoyable change that we've had for one of our core six Avengers outside of the Winter Soldier conflict with Civil War, right? Which is huge character growth for everyone. But this, this takes an original six Avenger and it gives him his true form it goes from being yeah he's very kind of space english he talks fancy we think which as a comic book reader i loved that about thor because they used it really great and you know they had the cool curly little font with all of his dialogue so it was very cool but it didn't really work in the mcu it worked in the first movie for most of the movie when he smashes the beer and says another that's great but Personally, I think the kind of the version of Thor that says you're just the worst is the best version of Thor there is. That's who he should be. He shouldn't be uptight and always nervous. He's the god of thunder. He should be super chill. He should be overconfident. He should be brash. He should look good. I mean, you guys. And then I can't believe I've done this, but Valkyrie. Oh, my God. She she was. uh Tessa Thompson, a vision as Valkyrie, come on. And the scene with the Valkyries assaulting Hela, straight out of a comic book. I mean, that rotating shadow over those Pegasus wings and the dragon fangs and the warrior's hair flowing as they fall in slow motion to the ground. It was, and you got so much in that moment. You see exactly why Valkyrie feels why Valkyrie feels the way she does. So it's just... I don't know. For me, the overall experience of Thor Ragnarok, it was so supercharging for me. I I was kind of starting to settle into MCU fatigue, and I was like, you know what? Thor's my favorite. If they don't do it well this time, they're not going to do it well. And they knocked it out of the park. It was a grand slam. It was amazing. All of the music, all of the visuals, 
even the quote-unquote boring parts to which Cameron refers served an impossibly important purpose in Thor, the character's larger place within the MCU, which I could expound upon if you like. All right. Thank you, gentlemen, for your overall experience uh, in this in this film. The last subject, the last topic that I have not told you yet, though you both uh, were sneaky and mentioned it both in your overall experience, I wanted to ask you very specifically about the soundtrack slash the score and why you feel that yours, the, the one that you like, is the better version of it or the better both score and soundtrack. I'm collecting them together. I know they're different, but as, as a collective score and soundtrack and Jesse you go first what what can you really say about the soundtrack and the score to Thor Ragnarok other than F yes I mean are you kidding me this movie blends the music into the visuals in a way that is so effective and so comic booky you guys we've got bright pink hard angled lines all over everything on Sakaar and there's this very hard synth music ending notes you know very slamming the keyboard style things going on and then you've got the rainbow effect of when the Bifrost opens and you've got the synth going crazy right there and then you have those killer drums coming in not only do those drums remind you of your favorite action movies from the 80s but they actually bleed right into the score of asgard which is much more orchestral and traditional of a score right now the thing that i mean the elephant in this room all night has been the battle of the bifrost i could have started by saying you guys, the Battle of the Bifrost, and in my opinion, that's most of the entire debate right there across all levels. And the thing that everybody loves, if you don't love all the other pieces of that battle or this movie, is that slow motion superhero landing on the Bifrost of Thor with Led Zeppelin blaring in the background. I'm. It does not. The the needle drops in the MCU. Again, I concede that the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 paved the way for a more open soundtrack environment for Marvel directors. However, I feel like Thor Ragnarok perfected that. For me, in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, you can tell that they really went, oh, you guys, we have to get a playlist as good as the playlist from the first movie. And it's sort of... It could be argued that the soundtrack from Guardians of the Galaxy outshines the rest of the movie in in both installments. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but if you're arguing that it's the best MCU movie and the soundtrack to the movie is better than the movie itself, I uh, that just that that's for me that's a difficult bridge to cross. Now, it's good thing no one's arguing that. I'm not going to sit here and say that Thor has the best soundtrack. Any of the Thor movies have the best soundtrack in the MCU. But Thor Ragnarok has the best soundtrack in any of the Thor movies. Like, hands down, by a mile, right? And that soundtrack, it just fits. Like I said, the fits the visuals so perfectly. 
You've got the synth mixed with the orchestral. You've got Thor's short hair mixed with his Asgardian cape, even though there's only half of it left. You get you get the Hulk theme in the most touching non Scarlett Johansson Hulk scene in the entire MCU. To finally see Banner and Hulk connect with somebody that's not ridiculously good looking and of the opposite sex was deeply meaningful. And you get those couple little notes of the Hulk theme and it's just, and the Avengers theme. You get those little notes of the Avengers theme, you guys. I the soundtrack and the score to this movie even even outside of all of the perfectly used Led Zeppelin is I'm gonna say it and I know it's a pun, divine. All right. I've been trying to Google the uh sales records for both the Thor Ragnarok score and the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two soundtrack. I uh, my phone is not working right now, but I feel very safe in saying I believe the audiences have spoken which soundtrack they prefer, as one made the top Billboard list and one did not. Uh, yes, the the score and soundtrack for Guardians is, of course, great. Yes, the score is one of the first things people think about. It's not the best aspect, but it they enhance each other. I enjoy the songs from the soundtrack more because of Guardians, and I enjoy Guardians more because of those songs. Uh Well, let's talk briefly about the score, though, because it is not lost under the uh, needle drops. It does a great job, much like how the characters break apart. It's not until the end when they finally come together, when the team has become a family, that you get that Guardians theme heroically coming in as they are finally able to uh, outsmart a celestial. It's good stuff. I guess... You know, I I did talk about the score a little bit to Thor and how I was disappointed with it. The only other thing I I will say about it is, yes, everyone loves the immigrant song in Thor Ragnarok. Yes, I do, too. It's a little on the nose, isn't it? In fact, I was kind of surprised that they hadn't used it in either of the other Thors. It's the first, hey, we're going to put a pop song in our uh, in our Thor movie. What should we immigrant song? Okay, done. Not so much with Guardians of the Galaxy. In fact, James Gunn takes this, uh, takes Brandy. I'm spacing on the uh, the singer now, even though they say it in the movie. But he takes this low-key song from the 70s. And not only does it become the bonding moment between father and son, but it's, like, it, it inspires the villain's entire worldview. Comes from this random but great song from the 70s. We are millennials and an Oregon Trail generation, so it's before our time. But when I watched this, song, this movie with my mom and Brandy came on and she exclaimed that it's her favorite song, like I knew that James Gunn had, had drawn correctly from Quill's mother's uh, amazing playlist. Um, and yeah, and then you just couple that with you got Fleetwood Mac, you got you got everything. It's great. I mean, I don't, I I didn't need to say anything. It's it's the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two soundtrack, Volume Two. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Not on the nose. They literally what, what's, what's the have nose? Peter fighting his dad to a song whose lyrics are "I will never break the chains." That's the only break point the I'll chains. make in rebuttal. The song, which comes in twice and is used for two different meanings when they are literally breaking the chains of their team when they part ways. And then when they come back together, the underlying meaning of that song comes through much like 
Just layers. Just the song has layers. The movie has layers. <laughs> I think that a lot of the meaning of using the immigrant song for Thor's battle on the Bifrost may have been lost in how ridiculously cool it looks visually. It's not. It's good. It's cool. It's cool. It's not bad. I'm not arguing it. And I feel like it's just. It's I, not. And I'm not going to say that it's not on the nose, <laughs> but I mean. There's certain times that you forgive that. And for me personally, I forgive that here. I'm not presenting that as a debate point. I'm saying it's a personal preference thing. Okay. Well, thank you, uh, gentlemen, for <laughs> for discussing uh, the soundtrack. And for, for what it's worth, the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 sold over 600,000 copies of the soundtrack and charting as high as, I think, eighth on the billboard. That doesn't surprise me at all because I would imagine that most of the people that remember those songs from that soundtrack from their childhood also grew up purchasing physical media, if you know what I mean. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys for, for talking about the, the score and soundtrack. I appreciate that. I, I knew that was a little curveball there, but I think that's what makes it fun is when you guys have to uh, discuss something that you don't have notes for specifically. Okay. Now is time of the show where we will give... Uh, I will give you an opportunity to have a closing statement. I will give each debater two minutes to have a closing statement that just kind of sums up their position. And I will start with Cameron. Yeah, the last point I, I'll, I'll say here, and, and, you know, Jesse's brought it up. Jesse definitely, you know, has not surprised me too much. Uh, he's definitely very eloquently explained his love for Thor Ragnarok. Uh, I think maybe I understand Thor Ragnarok a little bit better now. I wish, you know, that had come across in the movie itself. But I, I feel his positions on it are, are similar with many people. I've talked with a lot of people about Thor Ragnarok. And what do they remember? What do people love about Thor Ragnarok? Well, they, as he said, they they love the immigrant song. Man, do they people love that immigrant song. Well, as Jesse said, who did it first? Who Who gave them permission to use... 80s rock music during epic battle scenes. Well, it's the Guardians movies. People love Sakaar. They love that bright, colored space opera feel. Who did it first? Well, Guardians of the Galaxy charted that. They love the irreverent humor, the crazy, zany humor. Guardians of the Galaxy. The Valkyrie scene, those gorgeous slow-motion painting-like sequences. Guess where else you can see that? Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. It's, it was all charted beforehand. And I mean, that's that's all I need to say. What else do people... They love Jeff Goldblum. They love the Grandmaster. Guess where you can see the Grandmaster first? In the closing credits of Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2, the greatest movie of the MCU canon. The end. All right, thank you very much. Okay. Really quickly, a very rhetorical question for my esteemed competitor before I give my closing statement and remember this is rhetorical are you trying to claim that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 was the first movie ever to do 80s action music over something that wasn't an 80s action film and that it was also the first movie ever to do slow motion freeze frame like shots in a comic book movie now for my closing statement Guardians of the Galaxy 2 relies on borrowed nostalgia, Kurt Russell's face, and the audience having 
no previous relationship or level of commitment to these characters in an attempt to suddenly imbue them with meaning and hope that we care about them. Beyond that, Thor Ragnarok might be the most fun you had at the movie theaters in 2017. Beyond that, Thor Ragnarok is the best MCU movie that there is. Thank you, gentlemen. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Those closing statements. Those were both uh, entertaining and um, informative. A couple little things that I just want to mention before I render the verdict. And this is just my opinions as a dude sitting in the chair. Uh, I've already kind of made my tallies. The, the, the die has been cast. I just want to simply say, first of all, uh, thank you both for doing this. This was a lot of fun. And I hope we'll do more of this kind of show in the future. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, secondly, I don't, uh, I don't think this show will uh, continue on with me as being the only judge. Uh, we're going to have guest judges on hopefully in the future because being both a moderator and judge is terrifying. So I will also say, just my opinion, Thor Ragnarok is the better of the three movies. And I personally liked Guardians 1 better than Guardians 2. But that's just my personal opinion. Not taking that into any accounts, into the arguments. This was a debate podcast. I wanted to hear how you argued your points of view on the movie. On the debate topic, first topic of characters both good and bad, I awarded Jesse the winner of that uh, debate subject. In the round, second round of plot, I awarded Cameron the winner of that said category. For themes, Jesse bested Cameron by a mere one point. <laughs> For overall experience, I also awarded Jesse with oh, no. the overall experience and for the last topic of score and soundtrack i gave the win to cameron so with that jesse wins three to two and therefore ow my nipples (laughs) (laughs) and therefore from henceforth from now on the subject of is thor ragnarok the best mcu movie over guardians of the galaxy 2 will be closed forever and with that having all been said Thank you so much for listening. This has been a blast. Uh, the, the two guys are virtually shaking hands and saying <laughs> they, they, they will go to the middle of the stage, shake hands, and then go to their respective corners and take pictures with their family. I guess that's what they do with debates. <laughs> I could not let this all end without saying I, I want everybody who is listening to know that I have the utmost respect for Cameron And I feel like to come in with a take that hot and to perform as admirably as you did and to actually get me to the point where I'm going to go watch Guardians 2 again, that's a big deal for me. Because I saw the movie one time and my wife and I were both like, so he just wanted to be everything. And then we walked out and we're like, whatever. We didn't walk out of the movie. I mean, walking out, we were like, whatever. But I think I'm going to watch it again and I'm going to keep Cameron's points in my head because I think there is more there than I was giving it credit for. And 
I would also like to say, on behalf of Cameron and I, thank you to Sean from Absolutely. Cheap Seat Reviews for hosting this little shindig. This was a blast, man. Thank you so much. Uh, well, it's absolutely my pleasure until I have to edit. And then in which case, I will be swearing uh, curses at you both for all eternity. I do feel a little bit like Thor after getting pummeled by Hulk in the Grandmasters arena. But much like Thor and Hulk. That's how it feels. I'm going to wake up dozed, but still eager to see Jesse's smiling face sitting next to me. <laughs> telling me how I am a smoldering fire and he is a burning furnace of passion for Cameron friend (laughs) friend stay friends podcast this has been them's fighting nerds a debate podcast thank you to Jesse from the sudden but inevitable podcast and Cameron from the green shirt podcast a newbies trek through TNG I am Sean Allred your host and moderator and I thank you for listening